This episode of AHLA Speaking of Health Law is brought to you by AHLA members and donors like you. For more information, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. This podcast focusing on career journeys of Latinos and Latinas in health law is being presented by AHLA in conjunction with the Hispanic National Bar Association's Health and Life Sciences section. I'm your moderator, Galvina Stevenson. I am the co-chair of the Health and Life Sciences section of the Hispanic National Bar Association and a board member of the American Health Law Association. In this podcast, we're going to speak with three accomplished Latino and Latina attorneys working in the healthcare and life sciences sectors. And I'll do their introduction shortly. Our goal in this podcast is to hear about the career journeys of our panelists, the highlights, the challenges, and the advice they would give to law students or early career attorneys interested in pursuing and advancing careers in health and life sciences. And in particular, what specific advice would they give to Hispanic lawyers and other Hispanic professionals navigating this space? And while we discuss this, it's important to know that while 18.5% of the U.S. population is Hispanic, less than 5% of attorneys in the U.S. are Hispanic. And only about 1.3 of the country's lawyers are Latina. And while I couldn't find any stats on Hispanic attorneys in the healthcare and life sciences fields, all of us here on this podcast know from experience that it is so hard to find other Latinx attorneys and other professionals in this area. And that's one of the key goals of the health and life sciences section of the HMBA, to create a community, build connections, and support Latinx attorneys navigating careers in health and life sciences. And that's one of the goals of this podcast. So I will now give brief introductions of our three speakers and then we'll dive in. And I am so excited that on this panel, we have professionals from different areas of the healthcare spectrum, representing the in-house hospital lawyer perspective, the in-house life sciences company perspective, and the outside counsel perspective. First, we have Marcela Kerberger. Marcela is currently the general counsel and corporate secretary of Alanco Animal Health. Marcela is a native of Argentina, has had a long and accomplished career in life sciences, and is vigorously committed to mentoring, encouraging, and supporting Latinx lawyers and others on their career journeys. Next, we have Michelle Lucero. Michelle is currently the Chief Administrative Officer and General Counsel for Children's Hospital Colorado, and also the Chief Flash Mob Officer for the hospital. And I'm hoping she'll tell us more about that role. Michelle focuses actively on women's empowerment, leadership, and mentoring through groups such as the Colorado Women's Chamber of Commerce and the Colorado Hispanic Bar Association. And third, we have Dan Mateo. Dan is a partner at the law firm of Holland and Knight, where he focuses on litigation and business disputes for clients and with a strong emphasis in the pharmaceuticals and life sciences sector. Dan was a former co-chair of the HMBA Health and Life Sciences section with me and has also served as past president of the Hispanic National Bar Association of New Jersey. So we are so thrilled to have all of you here on this podcast, and I will start with the first question. So first, uh, tell us about your professional journey. How did you end up where you are, and what were the factors that led you to pursue a career in health, law, or life sciences? And Marcela, let's start with you. 
I went to law school uh, at Rutgers in Newark, um, and I, I used to live um, in Caldwell in New Jersey, and I used to drive every time I went to Rutgers, I used to drive by a company called, by a company called Novartis, Novartis Pharmaceuticals. And um, as a law student, for some reason, um, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great to work for a company that um, that made people's lives better and that you, you know, in a place where you could find meaning in what you did. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of mentors in law school who, who know about um, life sciences and healthcare companies. And so, you know, and that's so critical for people to look out for. And um, I ended up working for a great law firm, Lowenstein Sandler, but doing something completely different, securities litigation. Um, and so when I, when I understood that I really needed to align myself and my work with, with those partners who had healthcare uh, matters, um, I started working in matters um, for companies like, you know, back then Wyeth and Warner Lambert and Pfizer. And so, um, you know, that for me cemented the, my, um, you know, my motivation and in going in-house in, in uh, at a pharmaceutical company. It's so exciting to work on R&D projects, IP projects, uh, things that, that you know are going to be breakthrough treatment for patients. And, um, and so I, you know, I, I went to Novartis um, five years after I, um, I started at the law firm and I ended up staying with them for 11 years. And so in different, different roles, different Novartis companies. And then up until today, every time I switched jobs, um, it was a different type of life sciences um, company and and I you know I this has been my my path and I, I still have a huge passion for it and um, so very happy that I chose this. That's great, Marcela. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and and so Michelle, tell us about Marcela's career has been in life sciences primarily. Tell us about your professional journey and how you ended up as as general counsel of Children's Hospital of Colorado. You bet. Thank you, Galvina. And so excited to be um, on this podcast and, and with Marcella and Dan. And um, wow, I mean, talk about rock stars in their fields. Um, me, my journey is a little interesting. Um, I grew up wanting to be a doctor um, since I was a little girl. I wanted to be an OBGYN. I was a nerd that like started drawing pictures of from conception to, you know, the baby being, you know, bo- you know, full um, term in the belly. And um, so I, my whole path was I wanted to be a physician. Um, and so I went to through school, high school and college. And um, when I got to college, uh, I, I, I joke and when I talk to my doctor friends and say, I even made it through organic chem um, and I did well. Uh, but then I had a little bit of an epiphany and I said, this is a lot of work. Like not like being a lawyer is not, but I joke and say I got a little lazy and I say and I took a little left, you know, an off ramp and decided to become a lawyer. And so still a wonderful profession, lots of work. But um, and so I always knew I was going to ultimately be in healthcare because that's where my soul was. And, you know, there's very few of us as physicians as well. And so, um, you know, and, and I'm one of 11 children. So babies was like the sweet spot. Um so I always knew that I was eventually going to make my way into healthcare. And, you know, after some years in large law firms and um, I was a prosecutor for a while, I worked for the SEC. I joke and tell people, if you were to look at my resume, it kind of looks like a blanket. It's a patchwork blanket of all different kinds of um, service and, and, and career paths and, well, the same career path, but different jobs, but they all have ultimately helped me in this role. So 
Um, you know, I've been, I was in-house at a couple of large um, adult systems here in Colorado. I'm always mission-based because I needed to have something. I, I'm not a for-profit kind of gal. I'm more of a mission-based. It's got to have meaning to me. And so when um, Children's Hospital was looking for uh, a GC, a number of people reached out to me and and it's kind of the dream job. You know, when, when you wanted to be a doctor growing up and um, you were blessed enough to become a lawyer and uh, I'm even further blessed to be the only child of the 11 that have not only a college degree, but an advanced degree, everything came together. And so here I am. Wow. Thank you wow. for asking. Yeah, no, what a great path. And how, how many years have you been uh, at Children's? Well, you know, I'm, I'm truly only 29 years old. So, you know, I want to be <laughs> careful with what I know. I'm, uh, I've been at Children's. This is starting on my 10th year. And uh, eight of those years, I've also been the chief flash mob officer. And so uh, maybe we can talk about that later. But uh, you didn't have to have a legal degree or a, or a medical degree for that. <laughs> yeah, I love that part. <laughs> so is that flash mobs that you, you organize in the atrium of the hospital? Oh, my goodness. And, and I invite anyone on the podcast who's listening, if you want to come be a, a guest mobber, let me know. But every Halloween, given that our kids can't experience Halloween, we bring Halloween to them. And uh, if, if we've got videos that show it, but there's doctors and nurses, our CEO is out there, our chief you know, financial officer. It is a moment to really bring this to the children. And so part of my duties is that we pick songs, we, um, we create the dance, we teach the dance, and we show up on Halloween and there are hundreds, if not thousands of people involved. It's pretty darn cool. That's awesome. Great job. Another reason to be a health lawyer. Amen. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Michelle. And so, so Dan, let's turn to you. Tell us about your, your journey and how you ended up um, doing what you do. So maybe unlike uh, Marcella and Michelle, um, they say there are no accidents in life, but I did not set out to be a health and life sciences lawyer. Um, as a first generation lawyer, I didn't even know that that was a thing, a possibility. My, my world um, my world view was you were either a litigation lawyer or a transactional lawyer and specialization just had eluded me um, until I got into law school really. Um, and I started out as a generalist um, doing all kinds of litigation um, also at a law firm in New Jersey. Um, but over time, I realized that there were a number of partners that were focused on health and life sciences work. And I continued to gravitate to them and, and them to me. And like most things, um, a lot of your career path is determined by the people that you're lucky enough to work with um, and sometimes lucky enough to avoid. And you begin to navigate that path in a law firm. And I was most interested in the health life sciences practice. I found, I found it interesting. I liked the partners that were working in that area. And over time, I was allowed to join that group. So um, it has been incredibly rewarding. Um, and I think particularly now, I think there's a greater focus on specialization. Um, I think a lot of young lawyers wind up joining specialized groups from law school, but I do really appreciate the opportunity to have been a generalist. Uh, I, it, it has shaped the way I problem solve. Um, it has given me a much wider lens and perspective um, to solve problems. 
I don't feel I suffer from tunnel vision because I've worked um, on same issues across multiple industries. And right now, now that there is a focus on specialization, I can now say I have had a very long career of working for pharmaceutical and life sciences companies. I'm approaching 30 years of practice. So it's an incredible journey. And especially now during COVID, you can see now more than ever the relevance and importance of health and life sciences in everyday life. It makes it a lot easier to explain to my daughters what I do every day. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. So it was an accident, um, but it has turned out to be a very nice uh, coincidence. That's awesome, Dan. And I, I just love, you know, all, these, all of your stories are so different and you all have different paths. And it just, I think it's just so representative of what, you know, it is to be a health lawyer, a health law professional. There's so many different things you can do in this space and so many different ways to get there, which you've all just shown. So thank you. Okay, so the next question is I wanted to focus on challenges. I want to tell us about the, some challenges that you've faced in your career, uh, how you've navigated those challenges. Have you found that you've had to navigate between your professional self and your authentic self? And, and do you see a difference? So Marcela, let's start with you again. Okay, thank you, Galvina. I, I'll start by saying that I, I never felt that there was a difference between uh, my professional self and my authentic self, because I can only be one way. And I'm very, very direct and very open and uh, very extroverted. But for sure, when I was younger uh, in my career, um, I had the feeling, you know, I had an accent. I was from Argentina. I was not American. And um, and I felt that I needed to, um, to you know, do uh, double the work that anybody else in my position had, had to do, right? And so... I, I had to check every box. I had to take every assignment. I had to push myself to uh, prove that I was worthy. And, and that's, it was more of an issue with me, right, than, than, than what people around expected of me. But um, I also, in the beginning of my career, I, I let go of roles that I could have gone for um, because I didn't check every box and because I, I felt, you know, I'm, I'm not ready. I need, you know, one more thing. I need another area, another project, another job. And so um, it, it was, I go back to the power of mentors and talking to people, um, you know, this is what, what Nan was just saying, talking to people, you know, within your sphere who can help you figure things out. Um, because it, it was, you know, my mentors who said, you, um, you know, you, you, you have ever, you've done everything that you could do. Now you need to operate without fear, right? Don't, um, don't focus on what you don't have, focus on what you've done and all the work that you've done and what you've accomplished and just lead without fear. And I always knew that I wanted to be a GC, but I was getting in my own way by, um, you know, declining opportunities or, or just, uh, yeah, you know, being afraid of my, my next move. And so that, that was my challenge early on in my career. Uh, at some point I made a switch and I never, and I never looked back, um, but I made sure that I, that I had, um, a great group of mentors that I, I continue to talk to, right? And, and people and mentees that I, that I talk to, if I can help somebody not make the same mistakes and not question themselves and doubt themselves, uh, right? Because I don't know, because they're from a different country or speak a different language or because they didn't come here as kids or whatever it is, right? That that's not the case, right? That they're fully empowered in who they are and know their worth and know what they can bring to the table and just go for opportunities. 
Yeah, so it sounds like from your perspective, Marcela, the you know, having mentors has really been kind of the key to, to facing any challenges that are coming your way. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And then I, um, I had um, all kinds of bosses in my career, and I was always very aware and perceptive of, okay, this works for me, this doesn't work for me. And so what can I learn from each of these managers? Um, and, and, and how can I put this in practice, right? They got to a point where I want to go, what worked for them and what would work for me and then developing my own style as I, as I went along. But I, I still remember the pieces of feedback that I received that sort of, that changed my, uh, my outlook and the course of my career. Um, I still remember that. And I, today I repeat those, um, you know, that same, that same advice to my, to people that I talk to, right. Because it helped me so much, um, definitely a huge factor for me having mentors. Yep, absolutely. That's great. Um, thank you for sharing that. Michelle, how about, how about challenges that you've faced and how you've navigated those in, in, in the hospital setting or other, other settings? You bet. Um, before I get there though, Galvina, I want to go back to something that Dan said about being a generalist, which, you know, I, if, if people could see us on the podcast, I was vigorously shaking my head um, because that I think especially, and I'd be interested to, to hear what, what Marcella thinks about this, but in this role as GC, right? I mean, we face a hundred issues in a day. And so I, a lot of times I say, um, especially GC, and maybe it's not so much with the distinct, very, you know, um, um, a, a Novartis where you've got to go very deep in pharmaceuticals and, and, and research, et cetera. But in a in the acute care health setting where you're faced, you know, with a employment issue and a real estate issue and a false claims issue and every kind of issue in one morning, in one hour, that need to be a generalist is huge, like huge. And so um, immediately I thought of this book that I've been reading called Range. And it talks about how generalists are really starting to be seen as the, ne the necessary piece in leadership and in success. So I didn't want, you know, the wonderful words, words that Dan said to get away because I just, I think that that's so important, especially when we get, I know we're going to talk about um, giving some um, advice to law students, but, you know, don't shy away from being a generalist. Um, I think that that's really, really important as well. So back to the actual questions, I promise I'll get to it. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> um, challenges, you know, I think they're similar to what Marcella said, right? I mean, sometimes we just get in our own way. We really do. And it really resonated with me that something that she said that actually almost kept me from applying for this position. And that is, you see that, you know, uh, I was, you know, like many of us, we've got that network of people who believe in us. And, and now that's our duty to have that same network to believe in others and, and place them in the right spaces. But I had um, uh, a gentleman who I had worked with and he was one of my, you know, sponsors champions. And he sent over the, um, the, the job description or the, you know, from the search firm. And I looked through it and there was 10 items on there. I'm like, Check one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, got them. Nine, 10, don't got them. Guess I better not apply for this job, right? And so I literally almost did not do it. And it was actually my daughter who at the time was about you know, 11, 12 years old. And she was hearing me have a conversation with a girlfriend about this. And she said, mom, you tell me that I can do anything, that I can achieve anything. Why aren't you telling yourself that? And, it, you know, out of the mouths of babes, right? And so I was like, she's right. And so, 
you know, I talked with a couple of my mentors who were GCs in the role and they said, you know what, you can't do that, hire for it. That's what we do, right? So it's just that different perspective of sometimes we talk ourselves out of the game. And so to me, that's kind of been, you know, I, and, and I, I venture to say that, um, and I don't want to speak for my, my, pan, my co-panelists, but I mean, earlier in my career, you know, there were those moments of, of, you know, of discrimination that we probably have also all gone through, you know, the time that I was in a courtroom and, and, you know, was handling the docket and, you know, lawyers come up and said, I'd like to talk to the lead lawyer. And I tell them, you bet, just take a seat. No, I want to talk to the lead lawyer. Lawyer, No, I hear you take a seat. And the third time it's like, dude, I'm it. Take a damn seat. Right. So, but it's those We've, I think we've all had those type of challenges um, in some way, shape, or form, and it's how we respond to them, right? It's that old Japanese adage of fall down seven times, get up eight. We got to keep getting up, right, and pave that path for others. So, you know, as you can tell, you know, part of this question you had was, how does your authentic self meet your professional? <laughs> like Marcella, what you see is what you get. They are so intertwined for good or for bad, my team knows I'm going to be loud. I'm going to be opinionated. I might drop an F-bomb here and there. Um, I won't do it in front of the children, but, you know, that's me. That's who you hired, right? So right. a little of all of that. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And, you know, you both talked, it seems like, you know, having those mentors to kind of push you to get over that, in some ways, that self-imposed hurdle. Like, I don't have, you know, nine and ten, so I can't do it. So you have those mentors. And, you know, Dan, I want to turn to, I want to hear about your challenges and how you've overcome them. but. Um, yeah, I think first in terms of the, the mentoring, how how do you find those mentors? Like what if folks don't have those mentors? Like are there what 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 have you done to find those mentors to help you go through and get over those hurdles? Yeah, for me, I've I've looked outward, really. I've looked um to organizations like the HMBA um, and other professional organizations, um, people like you that I call, I created. When there's a vacuum, you have to figure out a way to fill it. And so I am not as outgoing as Marcella or Michelle. So I tended to create a more insular network and um, seek people out. So for me, that was really helpful in terms of building my own confidence and building it within my community in a way that once I felt empowered, then I could go back into the law firm setting and say, no, you got this, um, and then seek people out. Most people want to help you. There are a few that don't, but most people do want to help you. You just have to have the the chutzpah, as they say, to just knock on someone's door and ask them a question. Um, how did you get here, et cetera? And as soon as as we, you know, as people were saying, as Michelle and, and Marcel raised, as soon as we get out of our own way, um, people will start gravitating to you and say, there's some talent there and they will seek you out. But for me, I started slow. I wasn't willing or able to kick down the doors in the law firm day one. And so I reached out to people in my community until I could build the confidence um, to develop a network of mentors. Yeah, and just as we're, you know, for the folks listening to this podcast, you said you built out to, to folks, work, reached out to folks in your community. How, how does a law student or an early career attorney do that? Like, how do they find those people? Um, are there like formal ways to do that, informal ways? I think from my perspective, both. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, the, the organ, there's so many organizations that, that are at the law schools, um, reaching out lawyers that are there on the, on a regular basis, trying to help. But, uh, from an affinity group perspective, there's so many different affinity groups, specialty groups, groups like American Health Lawyers Association or Hispanic National Bar Association or local bar associations that are looking for volunteers, um, waiting for a young law student full of energy to give up his or her time. Um, that as soon as you figure that piece out, uh, it's really about narrowing the choices. Um, rather than having the opportunities because there are plenty of them out there. Gavin, and I would add to that, you know, with, with what everything Dan said, I mean, I probably, and I, I'm, I'm betting we all do, I probably on a weekly basis get an outreach, right? Whether it's through LinkedIn, whether it's just someone has found my email through a friend or through, and, and I'll meet with anyone, right? I'll give you five minutes. I, I joke and say, I've got a mentor minute, right? Because probably the best minute you're ever going to get from me, but it's, you know, and it's, but I, I, I literally have a couple over the weekend who said, Hey, I see you're in healthcare. I'd love to sit and, and, and chat with you from, from, you know, how your path was. And, and I think that don't be afraid to do that as law students, look to see where that path is and just send a, you know, whether it's a LinkedIn message through there, I, you know, I think as Marcella and Dana said, we will do it if we've got time. And if you'll like bear with us to get, you know, it might be a week or two down the road, we'll give you that minute just to give you some, because we appreciate it. We had, we, we were also given that opportunity from others. And so just take that moment and reach out and, and, you know, at that point, then we can figure out how we can link you up with other groups. Yeah. I love that tagline, the mentoring minute. <laughs> I do. I joke. I'm like, I kind of, I'm, I'm not the best mentor because we're just so busy, but you know, I'll give you an, an hour of coffee, a glass of wine, uh, you know, and just really try to put that in there. And I've had some, you know, at least from my perspective, some, some, you know, folks who've said, Hey, I need another minute. Right. And so then we re we schedule for that, but reach out. That's what I would tell the law students reach out. You know, I don't see many, um, students of color do that, Latinos, Latinas, anyway, I don't, it's, I, I just don't experience that. So I'd welcome that. I would definitely welcome that. Yeah, great advice. And I think, um, you know, you both pointed out to the kind of the proactive reaching out directly. Um, and, you know, Dan spoke about the affinity group organization. So, you know, all AHLA, HMBA, others have formal mentoring programs. You go online, you sign up, you get assigned a mentor. Sometimes those are like awesome. You get like a great match. Sometimes they don't work out, but you just keep trying. And other times it's more informal like that. Um, so all, you know, different avenues you can take. And, you know, Marcela, I know you're, you've been incredibly active in terms of, um, you know, mentoring and um, involvement in various organizations. And I wonder if there's ever... Um, a period in time where you move from being the, the mentee to the mentor, or is there always an opportunity to, to be both? What's been your experience there? I am definitely both. I, um, I still have a big network of mentors for me. So, you know, women and men who helped me along the way. And, um, you know, in, in my career, I still talk to people from my early Novartis days and, um, you know, you have to put in the time and keep in touch. And, um, and so 
And if I, you know, I'm looking for a job and, you know, I, I, I'll call one of my former bosses and we bounce things around and, you know, what about comp and what about this and what about that? And so I, uh, I think you need to keep in touch with people. It takes time. It takes thought and intent, but you have to do that. Um, you know, to this day, right, I'm, uh, you know, there's this whole field of ESG, environmental, social and governance, right? And so I call my friends, she sees about how are you dealing with it? How are you staffing this? What are the priorities in this area? Um, and then, you know, at which point do you become, a, do you start becoming a mentor? That's interesting. I think as you progress in your career and, you know, as you move, um, you, for me, it was innate that I needed to give back. I, I have this, it's, you know, I need to help people um, who are coming up. I, it's one of the biggest sources of, of um, happiness for me. It makes me feel fulfilled. And it, and sometimes, um, like what Michelle was just saying, it, it is so hard to fit in the time and to fit in people. And I go into, oh, my gosh, I have another mentoring call today. Okay. And I, and I go in and I come out of that mentoring call so happy and so fulfilled. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I... I should know better because it happens every time that I'm so um, crushed for time, but it's just, it's amazing to um, help people. You know, you're helping people and you're potentially changing, you know, the somebody's journey. And it happened to me with Poder 25, where I have a couple of people there, especially one person that, you know, I um, was so hesitant to make a move. And so we had so many conversations about, you know, you can do so much more than what you do. You're ready, you're ready. And it was, you know, she was getting in her own way and, finally she got this great job and it's just it's so rewarding to see that you had a little bit to do with you know somebody um just you know living living the life that they're supposed to live and um developing the way that they're supposed to to develop so i love i love to do both and uh, like i said it just takes time and intent um uh, but but you know if you're committed to it it's just one of the most rewarding things you can do yeah agreed and i think you know I always tell early career attorneys and students, you know, don't feel bad about reaching out because once you build that relationship, it can, you support each other. Like the mentor gets so much from the mentee, like you just said, Marcela. Um, so it's, you're not kind of taking someone's time. You're adding to the, the value of their day, to your point. And don't just look for legal people. I have mentees and mentors that are not with them because, you know, you need a different perspective sometimes, right? You, uh, you can get too biased, right? And too in your box if you just look for people like you in the same profession, in the same uh, area. Uh, I, I find that, especially when it comes to leadership, right? And transformation and change, it's great to talk to people in different industries and, and professions. Yeah, and I, I saw Michelle, you raising your hand for that. Um, reach out beyond the, 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 the legal community to, to others as well, yeah. Totally agree. And that's, I mean, I love what Marcella just said is that, you know, and I think in, in, at a time in, in my career, I was so earlier on, it was, you know, only lawyers I hung with, right? And, and, you know, and, and, and it's, and I, you know, Marcella, you feel this, I mean, it's just, that's your world, is your, your, your cohorts in the legal field. And then as we, as going through the career path, it's, you know what, this networking with others is so important, especially if you want to gain higher leadership positions, GC, head of a firm, you need to understand the business side of it. And you never know where other opportunities will come. So, you know, I um, I joke and say, you know, I rarely hang with the lawyers these days. Uh, I still do. I, uh, But it's not the focus that it was earlier in my career. And that's another piece of advice I'd give to young lawyers is 
don't just focus on lawyers. Look at everywhere for those kind of experiences. Great point. Yeah. And that was going to be our, our next set of questions. These questions, the advice you would give to um, other Latinx uh, lawyers, health law professionals um, looking to enter into this space um, or who are already in this space and trying to figure out how to navigate that. We've talked a lot about mentoring. We've talked about how uh, you've sort of overcome challenges um, in your own professional journey. Um, Dan, maybe I'll, I'll send this over to you. What, what sort of and, you, and if there's any sort of specific challenges that you faced and maybe what advice you'd give on how you overcame those challenges and just advice you'd give to um, early career uh, individuals in this space. Well, on the challenges piece, I'm just take what Marcella and Michelle said. I mean, I call it um, the perfectionism paradox, right? Like we hold ourselves to such a high standard. We want to be perfect. We feel the need to be perfect. And so the piece of advice that I think most young lawyers get is just put your head down and do good work, um, which is good advice, um, except nobody tells you when to stand up from your desk and diverse lawyers and women in particular. I think a lot of, a lot of other people get the memo that you're good enough and you should get up from your desk and start networking and start um, socializing and building out uh, that, that network that's essential to su succeed, especially in a law firm. So um, in our quest to be perfect, we oftentimes hobble ourselves or delay our own progression and our own advancement. So that's a challenge and that's a piece of advice. You must be a good lawyer. That's always good advice, but some, recognize when you're good enough and be willing to step out of that office and begin building that network, which is going to be so critical to your success, whether you're an inside, you know, counsel or outside counsel. And that's, that's incredibly important. Um, you know, for people, networking comes naturally to some. And it's very difficult for others, but it, it's like exercise. You know, it's a muscle. You have to do it. Uh, you have to do it often. And when you're inside a law firm, quite frankly, your skill set is very important, but your network is your currency, right? In order to, to stay at a law firm long term, like I have, um, that says, A, I'm crazy. Um, but it also says that I've been able to build a network of people who trust me. This is a relationship business. Um, so the earlier you start, whether you're a law student or a young lawyer or even a mid-career lawyer who just has been so focused on work, I don't think it's ever too late. Um, working, working moms or just coming back into the workforce, build your network, be flexible, I would say. Uh, to law students. Um, so many of us are, have this idea of what our career is going to be, and we don't let destiny play any hand in that. And, you know, I would be doing something completely different if, if I were not flexible. Um, and I guess persevere. I mean, we opt out in incredible numbers from law firms for all kinds of 
reasons, whether they be family reasons or self-confident reasons. But um, the reason those numbers, Galvina, that you quoted are so low is because a lot of us are opting out of the law firm life. Um, it's a tough life. I'm not saying it's not, but we need more folks to stay in, to persevere, to find mentors, to find that encouragement so that we can have a greater you know, body of people or numbers of people that do what we all do on, on this screen and this podcast. Yeah, and I think that's such a, a great point, Dan. I mean, I think in the advice that you gave, you know, just get up from your chair, you know, somehow that memo <laughs> doesn't get to us. Like we sort of sit down and work really hard. And, you know, well, you know, the numbers of Latinx students getting into law school are getting a little bit better. Still, when we look at how many of us are out there actually practicing law, like they've not gotten uh, much better. Um, so, yeah, really important to, 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 to heed that advice and, um, and, and relay that advice to other Latinx attorneys. Um, Marcela, any, what, what, what's like your, what would be your big takeaways? What advice would you give to other Latino and Latina lawyers and other health law professionals in the field? Um, I would have to go with what Dan say and just, um, you know, tell you a, a little story, but I would say res be resilient. Don't let other people define who you are and what path you need to be on, right? Your time will come. And if you want something, if you do want to get into a pharmaceutical, if you do want to get, get into a hospital, or if you want to get into a law firm and do healthcare law, don't let other people's, you know, obstacles just, you know, be your, be your obstacles. And I remember when I was at my fourth or fifth year at the firm, and I really wanted to go into a pharmaceutical. I was, it was like my second job was, you know, I worked at the firm in the day and at night was, I need to find a job in a pharmaceutical. And then talk, you know, talk to a lot of headhunters. And I remember, you know, one headhunter said, Marcella, there's nothing special in your resume. Why do you think that you can go to a pharmaceutical like Novartis? And uh, I still remember that, right? And so I hung up that day. I felt pretty down um, on things, but the next day I just went back at it. And I took out my folder with my Excel spreadsheet. Okay, I contacted this person, cross out, I will contact this person, right? And so you need to be resilient, resourceful. This is why the network is so critically important and you cannot rely on recruiters. Right? Uh, and there are great recruiters and there are great people out there, but you know, this recruiter happened to tell me, right? You're not that special and I don't think you're going to find a job in house. So I could have relied on that and that could have been my defeat and just I could have gone home and taken a completely different path. But because of what Dan said, your resiliency, dedication, your, you know, I will get this done for me and I will find a way, it happened for me. And so don't, don't be discouraged, right? If, if you find obstacles and if you, people say no, just keep going. Great. I love that. Michelle, any advice that you would give that Marcella and Dan haven't already covered? You know, the only thing, because they said it beautifully, so I'm not going to reiterate those, those points. The only other thing I'd add is be your authentic self, right? Because as we talked about before, it's, you know, it's, it's, we work our, you know, we work so hard, we do persevere, all of those pieces. And if we have to worry about and contend with what we are at work versus what we are at home, and you know what, it's, it, it, it's, we don't need that kind of, of pressure on ourselves. So just be your authentic self because, you know, in, in the workplace, I, I want to know, I want you as the individual, you, it brings all of you, all your wonderfulness to the workplace and this career path. So that's the only other thing I'd add on. Great. Yeah, no, I think I appreciate all that. I, 
you know, took lots of notes here of all these sort of takeaways. Um, you know, I think especially as we talk about the numbers of uh, Latino, Latina lawyers, uh, you know, in, and in the healthcare system, I think it's so critically important for us to have more. Um, you know, the 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 impact that the healthcare system has on our communities, and the we should really be able to have more people at the table to be able to influence how the, what those organizations do, and how they deliver their care. So, I think the advice that you've given is so you've given is so critical and important to um, help us get more Latina and Latino lawyers in this field. Um, and uh, the advice you've given is great. I hope that um, it's useful for others. And uh, I really appreciate all of you taking the time, uh, sharing your words of wisdom, your perspectives. And uh, on behalf of the membership of HLA and HMBA, we really wanna thank you for um, everything that you do for our community, our industry, and for uh, taking time for this podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.